This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth bringing you quality hunting clothing and packs at a price you deserve. Check them out at HuntworthGear.com and now through Cyber Monday you can use code HUNT30CY to save 30%. Again, check them out at HuntworthGear.com. I'm your host Adam Miller and we're talking today about e-scouting for out-of-state hunts. So uh, we've got Justin Holman on here. He is from Florida, came up to a deer camp in Michigan and was able to harvest his biggest buck ever. And he talks about what he was looking for on the map, how he used the internet and uh, Facebook, social media resources uh, to get the information that he needed to help him in harvesting his largest buck ever and coming from florida to michigan michigan is not uh, one of the states that's a destination so we talk about all that and more in this week's podcast but first i got to give a shout out to our sponsors obviously huntworth huntworth and all of our sponsors give back to our patreons patreon is crowdfunding for creators and what they do is they give us you know money throughout the the year every month uh, to support the show, and it allows us to do things like we're going back to Ohio uh, to try and fill those tags, uh, go to the shows, um, and do these giveaways, do our Patreon hunt, that sort of stuff. Starts out at like 17 cents a day. Um, so if you like what we're doing and you appreciate that, you want to get in on some of these giveaways, um, you can go check that out. Just go to bowhunterchroniclespodcast.com or uh, Bowhunter Chronicles podcast on Instagram, click the Patreon link and it'll let you know uh, how to get involved with that. Uh, but we don't work with anybody who won't give back to the the Patreon. So we really appreciate that. And Huntworth um, is giving away uh, 
you know, some of their cold weather gear. Uh, they're giving away a set of bibs and a, and a jacket, and we're couldn't be happier about that. Uh, Spartan Forge. Um, Spartan Forge is artificial intelligence for the deer woods. They use military mapping um, and military intelligence to predict deer movement, as well as their mapping is the best in the industry, bar none. They offer a free app, so you can use the mapping, uh, everything that you get from the other uh, mapping apps, uh, Spartan Forge offers that for free. You can check them out at SpartanForge.ai. You can use code BOWHUNTER to save 25%, but they give the whole package away for free, a year subscription uh, to one of the Patreons. And right now, if you go um, to their website, they're doing their, they're raising money for uh, veterans. Uh, so it's a veteran-owned company, and they're really big on on giving back to veterans, supporting veterans, supporting veteran businesses like like the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And um, right now, if you go donate money on there, GoFundMe, um, there's a couple other things that you need to do. Just follow them and like them on Facebook, all of that sort of thing. Um, but they're giving away a hunt down in Alabama, an Alabama rut hunt with uh, Johnny Stewart, Garrett Prawl, um, a bunch of their uh, personalities, the guys from Seek One. Uh, so you can win a hunt along with prizes from innumerable uh, companies. Uh, so check that out again at SpartanForge.ai. Um, lucky Buck, you know, Frank was on deer consistently down in Ohio. Uh, just couldn't make it happen, but uh, great bucks. Uh, with Lucky Buck down there. Like I said, my uncle just harvested the probably the, one of the bigger bucks uh, in the last 10 or 15 years that's come off of our property um, up in the UP uh, with, with Lucky Buck. So Lucky Buck gives away one of their uh, tubs of mineral or some of their food plot seed uh, every month, uh, every quarter to, to one of our uh, Patreons. Um, and then Zinger Fletchings, you know, our, our buddies down there, uh, you know, don't ask them for the 3.0s. They're not out yet, but I can tell you what, they fly incredible. Uh, but they give away one of their test packs um, every month. And then we're going to be giving away a bow. Um, I think we're going to give away uh, one of the Bear Alaskans or the, the similar uh, production model um, with one of the adjustable red dots. So, again, if you're not following along with the adjustable red dot on Instagram or looking at their uh, content, those guys just continue to kill great bucks, you know, both here in Michigan and then they've been out in Kansas for the last two, three weeks. Um, and they're just every day putting down, you know, incredible deer and you know, that adjustable red dot allows them, uh, you know, no peep site, quick target acquisition. Um, you know, for some of the older hunters, like that's a great opportunity. Both my dad and, uh, Frank are, are shooting those. So you can t check them out at adjustable red dot.com. Uh, but we're going to give away a bow with, uh, with one of those on there. And, uh, we can't thank you guys enough for that. Um, so just had to give a quick shout out to, to all of our sponsors and the people that we're working with. And, you know, this episode right here, Justin asked some questions. Uh, we were messaging back and forth. Uh, it's a really fun podcast uh, because 
you know, that's the funniest thing to me that, uh, you just killed a buck and what do you do? You reach out to a guy on the internet that you, that you never met to, uh, to calm your nerves and kind of reassure you as to, as far as what's going on. So, um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. I think you can take a lot away from it. Uh, as always, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody, Adam back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And I guess I should have said Adam and John. I guess I'm just so used yeah. to saying just just Adam here. Um, hey, but, I've been here the last three weekends. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're getting him. We've, he's got his plans for his house done, and he's he's all set. So now we're going to have to lock him in. We're going to renegotiate our contracts coming up here for the for the next year. But uh, we've got a fun podcast uh, today. So our guest is... Uh, Justin Holman, he's a hunter out of Florida, and uh, how we came to uh, get acquainted is uh, is interesting, and it kind of shows like the power of the internet a little bit. And I mean, I haven't met Justin in person, uh, but I'd imagine he's not a serial killer. I don't think, um, and uh, this is pretty pretty cool story here. So, uh, Justin, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, no problem. How is the, where are you at in the hunting season down in Florida? Oh, it's still early season for us. We don't, our rut doesn't come to about January 25th. It's always that one weekend, very late January, we start getting ruts. So we're, we're still months away. And then, so how does the, the season shape up for you? Like, when does it end? The mid-February. So I, I'm right on the Florida, Alabama line. Um, we have property in Paxton, Florida. Um, so kind of hunt Florida and Alabama and most of my hunting these days comes, we have about a 3000 acre lease, everything. There's not much public in Alabama where we hunt. Um, everything is just leases. Um, so that's about 15 minutes away from our, our home base camp. And that I believe ends mid February. It's always a week or two on either end of Florida. So I'm not really sure, but mid February. Okay. And so a little bit of backstory on you, like what's your hunting history? Like how long have you been hunting? How'd you come up? You know, are you primarily public land, private land, gun, bow? Well, primarily it's, it's been private for me. Um, I've just recently gotten addicted to public. I, um, I was a kid. I don't, I don't come from a family who hunted. Um, I, I got addicted when I was a child. This is before the internet and everything is so easily accessible. I'd watch ESPN too late at night when they had the outdoor channel or sportsman channel and just begged my dad to take me hunting when I was a kid. And he found somebody who knew how to hunt, got us into it. And next thing you know, we got into a lease a few years later. Now we have, we have 175 acres in Florida that we own or my dad owns, um, that we go up to. In fact, I'm going up there tomorrow afternoon. Um, and mostly been gun hunting. Florida and Alabama is a little different when it comes to bow hunting. It's, I'm not saying not as easy. It's just not as as built for bow hunting with the pine thickets. You, I mean, some of the thick areas you can't see more than a you know, ten feet in front of you. So when you get when you hunt, you're hunting roads, you're hunting open fields, or you're hunting clear cuts. And it's when we bow hunted, it's just to get out in the woods earlier. Once gun season starts, you're typically putting the bow down and picking the gun up. And it's not until recently that I'm trying to, you know, change that a little bit. But even still, it's hard. Gun season's opened up here in Alabama is where I'm primarily hunting. It opened up this past weekend, and it's 
there's not many areas conducive to bow hunting. You, you pick out a spot that you can see about 15 yards, one trail, and, and that's about it. And so how um, does that, um, like, uh, have you been successful with your bow in Florida? And like, what's that, what is that hunt typically like, uh, you know, on the, on the times that you've been successful, like what was the catalyst for, for like the success? Well, with my bow, it, it all been happenstance until recently. Um, I, I've just been seriously bow hunting now for a few years. Um, my first buck bow kill, you know, I, I killed a few does, you know, early on, just again, that was the first time we were able to kill a doe. In Florida, you can't kill does. Um, there's two doe weekends, and this is before $100 Alabama. If you wanted to kill a doe, you had to kill them both season pretty early on. Um, but my buck, I, you're allowed to kill two bucks in Florida per day. I killed one the morning of, it was during rut. I killed one one morning and wasn't trying to kill another one that afternoon. So I took my bow out, you know, go after a doe just to hunt in the afternoon. And lo and behold, the doe came out, and right behind her was a pretty good size eight point. So that was my first buck. Um, and then I killed one last year when I really started actually targeting and trying to understand the the nuances of bow hunting, because you, you have to understand this area is set up for the most part for gun hunting. It's set up for, you know, a hundred yard shots, 150 yard shots and plus not for getting within 25, 30 yards sometimes. So kind of like as a new hunter, not having like a uh, I guess like for lack of a better term, like a solid foundation of a hunting, like what's drawn you towards the, I don't know, headaches, heartaches of, of bow hunting, you know, <laughs> it's a challenge. I mean, I, I love it. There's, I've really gotten into hanging hunting. I think when me and you first started talking at him, it was, I was just getting into saddle hunting. Um, I've hunted from a climber for many, many years now. Um, but yeah, I got into saddle hunting. I want to get up close with them. And the challenge of it is just, it's a blast. Buddy of mine um, that I went up to Michigan with, also named Justin, Justin DeRose, we've gotten into actually shooting our bows, not just you know a couple of weeks before the season starts, but actually shooting consistently three or four times a week. And having someone to kind of do that with and um, someone else to share in the, the challenge of it, it makes it a lot more fun because when you have everyone else around you hunting with a gun, it becomes real defeating where I'm from when you're, you know, limited to just talking about the ones you're seeing, not the ones you're able to pull the trigger on. Sure. I mean, and I feel like that's hunting. I mean, I saw, I don't know, 30 deer this, this evening and uh, I was out with a longbow and like, that was my first real hunt with a longbow uh, and I screwed it up drawing, <laughs> you know, like just cause Longbow is freaking long, and I didn't realize like where the the end of the limb was, and you know. But it's everything is like a learning experience. But you know, I I found you know I think I think when we started talking to people that were serious bow hunters here, like on the podcast, and like I think the the common theme theme is is like kind of what you're talking about is like that difference between like watching the deer over there that you couldn't kill. Or just deciding like, hey, I have to make a move. I have to get where they're at, like no matter what it takes. And whether it's, you know, like you're saying, like being a little bit more mobile, getting into the saddle hunting stuff. Or like for me today, it was being on the ground in the middle of a field uh, because, you know, that's where the deer are. And I can watch them all day from over there or I can, you know, try and try and get in the mix with them. And uh, it's 
extremely frustrating, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's why we do it. If it was so easy, I mean, you could, you know, probably so many times as we say it so much, but you know, every deer I feel like I saw tonight, I could kill with a gun and, uh, you know, here I am screwing them up at, you know, 30 feet or whatever it was. So, so, yeah, so, so it's gun season for you right now. Yeah, it is. Yep. That's right. Yeah, it starts up here. It starts uh, November 15th and then goes, well, now pretty much it goes through the end of the year because it used to be just November 15th through to December 1st. Mm-hmm. Well, December 1st, bow hunting started back up and then it would go like a week and then they would have like the traditional or the muzzle loader season. But now with CWD and all the, the DNR rules, they changed it to where you can actually shoot when, when muzzle loader opens up. You can just use your regular rifle. Hmm. And then. It's not, only in some kind of, like where he was hunting, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, uh, but but around where, where we live, that's that's the case. But you could pretty much gun hunt if you wanted to when you're like where we're at now till the end of the, till January 1st. I mean, it's funny hearing the, the different perspective from Michigan, which was an incredible hunting experience. But hearing the people talk up there was November 15th was the end of the season. Is kind of how some people looked at it. The people I was talking to, because I was bow hunting, yep. they talked about November 15th like that was, you know, doomsday. Whereas, yep. you know, here, you know, I had I had the run of 3,000 acres. It was me and my buddy and maybe one or two other people that were hunting during bow season. People weren't out there. Mind you, it's, I mean, hot as hell out of here. So, um, Anya, and the properties that you hunt, what are, what's the, uh, is it like pines that you're sitting in or? A lot of pines. A lot of pines. It's real hard to find any sort of open hardwood. Um, and there's some. And if you find open hardwood, it's typically underwater. Like it, it's it's wet. And it's there are areas that I, I'm a, a map scouter. I mean, I, I think I'm more addicted to scouting via map than uh, think hunting half the time. And there's areas I, I was looking at throughout the summer of my lease as I was kind of scouting Michigan as well. And I'd look at spots that, yeah, I want to walk. I couldn't walk 50 yards in the woods. Like when I say couldn't, I mean, quite literally could not walk because of the vines. I mean, I would have to take a machete just to get through this area. Yeah, It's possible. Yeah. I mean, you have to find access points. And obviously in the pines and you're, you're really limited to the trees you can climb, especially if you've got a climber, you're going to go up and end up having to cut every limb off and, well, see, our pines are a little different down south. I noticed that in y'all's pines. Y'all, y'all had a, a lot of limbs. On oh, yeah. Pines. Ours are bean poles straight up most of the time, okay. which provide absolutely no cover. Right. Which you talk about bow hunting and things being conducive for you. You have to get way up there. So part of me really hates listening to this um, because I don't know. I, I told Justin, you know, about Walter down in Florida and he has the chasing tails podcast and he tells me how hard it is to hunt in florida and like anybody can anybody can kill deer in michigan it's not that hard and uh so i texted him a picture of your buck and i told him i said this could have been you you know you could come up here and he's like yeah i told you he's like he's like florida hunters are legendary and i was like (laughs) oh you son of a bitch like it's just frustrating so um you know you're just kind of validating all the things that that he said, but we need to get his red ass beard up here <laughs> and get him in a tree and then see how, uh, see how well he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's funny that you say like with the Michigan guys saying that the, the, the jig is up November 15th, because, you know, there is a lot of, 
negative uh, around, you know, quote unquote, the orange army and like, okay, they're just going to kill everything that's out there. But, you know, where you were hunting, there's antler point restrictions. So, I mean, that's allowed, you know, and that was one of the conversations that we had had. And we'll get into that a little bit. But, you know, up there with the antler point restrictions, you've seen a really good, I mean, you've seen it make a difference. Yeah. Even my buddy, Jason, where we've hunted, I mean, so where he was hunting, I hunted that pretty much my whole life. And then also just to the northwest of there that my buddy has a cabin. And like in our teenage years, it was just like hardly any deer. Like, you know, and then he just, I just talked to him yesterday and he he had been up there for the last two weeks. And he shot a decent eight point. He missed a, a bigger buck with his bow. And he's like, I really, he's like, I've really started to see the difference in the quality of bucks since the antler point restriction, like, like it's working. So, so, so it's not necessarily like the end of the season. And and I think that there's a lot. So in Michigan, I feel like there's a ton of bow hunters. I mean, I think, especially with the, you know, the advent of like allowing everybody to hunt with a crossbow. Um, I think that there's, you know, twice as many bow hunters as there used to be, but I think social media equipment, like being like front of mind, I think like you said, because it's a long season and it's just more opportunity to get out there. I think there's no shortage of, of bow hunters up here. Um, certainly, but I, I have to, I mean, so like, I've always thought kind of the same way, like, even all the way up to like the 13th. Cause like I've got screwed over so many times, like especially if it's near the weekend or something and like gun season going to start. Well, then you see the, the guys are coming out and they'd have their, they'd be carrying their lawn chairs and their bag of carrots. And now that they've made baiting illegal in lower, the lower peninsula, which every gas station around <laughs> here still sells, you know, they got pallets of beets and corn and it's like, you think all these guys are buying it to head up to the UP? <laughs> no. So, and that's like the buck that uh, Tim Clark killed up there at the at our deer camp. You know, he he's gotten it out, and it's just filled with corn. It's like, man, where's the nearest ag fields? Like there there isn't any within probably twenty five thirty miles. They're like, oh, I guess the corn trees are dropping right now, not not just the acorns. <laughs> But so uh, coming from Florida and with your like hunting background, how did you end up in random area, Michigan? Okay. So the buddy I was telling you about also named Justin, um, his wife's family has a deer camp up there. And first off uh, down South, we don't have what you guys call deer camp. That was probably one of the coolest experiences of the whole thing was having this camaraderie of everyone coming together for deer camp. But, um, I thought it was just a bunch of guys going up there and hunting, which I guess it was. Um, it's his wife's family. They probably have 15 guys who have come together now for well before the eighties. I want to say that I heard stories from the seventies and they do it once a year and it's all near irons. Um, again, I'm not incredibly familiar with the area, but they've told me it was one year. It was maybe 15 miles East or North. I'm not sure. Um, but my buddy had gone up there now. This was his third year. Um, 
And he was allowed to invite a friend because he was the outsider at first because he's not, you know, related by blood. He went up there with his father-in-law and, you know, he, I, I kind of got him into hunting. So because I got him into hunting, he kind of told them that and, you know, asked me to come up there with him and we were able to go up there and it was just, I got to meet everyone there except for my friend, got to meet everyone there for the first time, my first night. So didn't really know a soul up there. And so I don't know what it was, but it was like back in July. And I don't know if you posted on like the Michigan bow hunting page or something. And you're like, Hey, I'm going up to this area. Um, does anybody have any insight or anything like that? And like, I usually do it like with the saddles and stuff like that is I'll just message somebody who asks a question. Cause I feel like in the forums, especially with saddles is like, I have this one. So it's the best. And <laughs> you know, I have all of them, so I'm not going to long form argue with someone over why one would be better or or not. It's just easier to kind of like do a private message. Well, but but just to get like the feel for somebody, like is it like are you concerned about like your budget fitment, like what do you already have, what's your experience level, or whatever? Um, and so I, I felt like it was a similar conversation, just because like you know nobody's going to be like yeah, I hunt here. It's great. Or people are going to tell you like a bunch of bullshit and say like, yeah, there's no deer up there. So I was like, Hey, you know, uh, you know, John's been hunting up there. His family's been hunting up there like their whole lives. I have hunted up there. I'm like, I'm not going to give you any spots, but I can answer any questions that you have. And it just kind of went back and forth with like, uh, you know, what's the deer density you like what you know this is the weekend we're coming up what do you think the deer will be doing then like that sort of thing so like what was your expectations like a um coming up to michigan like <laughs> basically blind you know coming from leases of florida and pine thickets to you know the Michigan public land and like all this hunter pressure and, and all this other stuff. And then you're just getting information from some guy on the internet. I guess, what was the response that you got other than from, from me? <laughs> well, I got a lot of responses on that. I was actually surprised how many people commented and I'd say about 50% of the comments were go anywhere, but Michigan. <laughs> now I'm sure half of those were, you know, we don't want added pressure. Um, and a lot of people were actually very nice. Uh, you, you weren't the only person who messaged me. I, I had some people who kind of reach out and explain, Hey, don't, don't expect much. You know, it's not, don't have, you know, very big deer here. Don't. Um, and I don't think they're doing that to be, you know, hateful or discouraging. I, mean, I think that like you hit nail on the head earlier before the antler point restrictions, at least from what I've heard historically, it maybe, maybe there weren't. Um, my experience was, was far different. I, mean, I actually saw a good deer. I, I saw, I was lucky enough to kill a buck, but I had saw two others prior that were mature whitetails that I was, I was excited because one of the pictures you sent me was just to see what a mature deer looked like, because a mature deer looks different in Canada than Texas and Florida and anywhere you go. And really it's all kind of relative. And I wanted to see what a mature, mature doe deer looked like so that I knew what the actual goal was, because obviously we're not in Southern Iowa, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, that gave me perspective and idea. And Adam will tell you, I, I probably harassed the hell out of him. I feel like at least once a month I'd ask a question of, because again, I'm e-scouting, the simplest questions of, hey, what does bedding look like here? Now, it's not that I don't 
know how to find a bedding bed in my area. And I've hunted some hills, but each area is different. And it was, it's, it was great to have the inside of him, you know, telling me, here's what we look for here for bedding, which then I'm able to look at the map with a fresh set of eyes for how someone there is able to do it. So it was incredibly helpful. So what was like the, what info helped you find the deer? What was the best info that was it your e-scouting? Was it some, some tips from Adam or, or was it just that you got up there and, and found the deer? I mean, on your own, like, no, no the, the, the tips helped. One of the things Adam told me is find the acorns. I think you told me in the messages you, at that point, you had gone 20 something miles at that point in time and it found very few acorns based on what you typically had seen. Um, and I'll tell you the buck I shot was eating acorns underneath, a, underneath the white Oak. I mean, it was, um, I, I didn't really see a whole lot of chasing activity. My buddy did. Um, I, I saw some cruising and I'm sure this buck was, but so it, it kind of gave me an idea that, to try and start at least looking for the acorns, because even if they're not necessarily feeding, it was going to help me locate the doe bedding areas. If they were, you know, in full chase mode to kind of have an understanding of where they are. So of course the looking at the map probably helps, but it's the tips that help me know what to look for on the map. Without that, I don't, I don't really know where to start. And so one of the things you had said is that, you know, this, this group of guys, you know, cause I, I, you know, I, I didn't know anything about this. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to this deer camp in Michigan from, from Florida. And he's like, these guys have killed some, you know, younger bucks and some, you know, bucks here and there. But, you know, I'm, I'm really just looking at this with kind of like what you said, like a fresh set of eyes. And so I'm like, well, Hey, here's the thing. Like if they're not killing the type of deer that you want to be killing, like don't necessarily go where they tell you to go. I'm saying like right. you look at it for yourself and say, okay, this is, this is what I need to do. Um, and, and we had a, a podcast already, um, about like our deer camp and like how that was for us, but talk about that experience for you being like a, you know, because our deer camp, I think was a lot like that. You know, these guys maybe had seen each other before, like on social media or stuff like that, but many of them didn't know anybody, um, at all, you know, you walk in and you've never seen this guy before because he's not on social media or whatever, but you're all there for the same reason. So like, what was the environment? What was so, uh, endearing for you about the quote unquote Michigan deer camp? Well, first off, it was, it was a lot of family. Everyone there knew each other except for me. I only knew one person there. Um, and, and I think when I, when I messaged you at first too, I didn't necessarily have an understanding of what was going on too. I'm, I'm a, very serious hunter. I, I think about it far too often when I'm going to bed at night, when I'm working. I mean, that's, I, I'm always strategizing for deer. Not everyone's that way. Um, you know, deer hunting is something different to everybody. And I, I kind of realized through being at the camp that half of them were there just to see their family members and sit in the woods and enjoy some peace and quiet away from their you know typical life. And so I, I think when I messaged you, I told you that they'd gone a few years without necessarily putting a deer on the pole. And I, I thought that was more so because of the area. Um, come to find out, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, they would probably rather spend a little more time with their family as opposed to maybe sitting out all day. Whereas I was, you know, trying to, of course, be polite. You want to be friendly and see everybody. I really enjoyed everyone's company, 
But me and my buddy, we were gone well before sunlight, you know, every morning. Came back after dinner, it seemed like, every night. Um, and felt like we didn't really get to see everybody except for the late nights because we'd stay up and play poker with everybody. <laughs> um, it, it, it was just a really cool experience and seeing how everyone valued something different, how, you know, we were the strategists. I mean, I have my iPad out every night trying to, you know, socialize with everyone, you know, ha- have a have a beer or two and play poker. And I'm literally scouting multiple different areas for where I'm going to sit the next morning because I can't sleep unless I think about it. Um, and you have others who they're going to wake up and go wherever they feel like going in the morning. So just completely different mindsets. It was a nice little melting pot. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, that was a similar at our, our camp too. It was like, there were guys, you know, the guys, and I think, you know, it's, it's different when you're out of state, you know, when you're coming from a long way, you like, you you spent money, you're vested in this and you're like, I came up here for a reason to kill some deer. So like, I'm going to try and give this every uh, opportunity that, uh, that I can. So, um, got to take us through like your first, uh, how long were you up here? And then like, how was the like first couple of days hunting? Like, what was your strategy that ended up getting you to where, well, where not, you ended up? No, that. So when, what time, when did, when were you up here and how long were you here altogether also? November 4th through the 11th. Okay. Um, we're supposed to be flying. We ended up just driving instead. Sounds like a long drive, actually pretty enjoyable seeing the scenery, but, um, came there on the fourth, which I believe was a Friday, Thursday or Friday. No, it was a Friday and then left on a Friday. So we were there for almost exactly a week, except that last Friday we were leaving early in the morning. Um, first day was scouting. You know, I had general areas I wanted to see all within a certain, you know, area, but we were kind of scouting for two because we only had one vehicle between me and my buddy. Um, and we were kind of figuring out access points of, Hey, we can kind of attack this block. I can drop you off maybe a mile down the road here and I'll hunt this side of it. Um, similar terrain feature, just kind of see what we see and report back. Um, and saw deer the first couple of days, but it was kind of, a, it was a big circle. You know, we, the idea and uh, the strategy behind it was to, find an area we like and then kind of hone it down. And hopefully the last couple of days you get the circle just small enough to where you, you have it picked out, which you think is best. And it ended up working out that way, but I'll tell you as of about day three, four, I'm not really sure. I certainly thought I was going to have to kind of back out and start over with a bigger circle because as I was kind of honing in on it, it, it seemed that the wind was not working in my favor. Um, all the deer I was seeing was in this bottom that it was just gonna be real, real, real difficult to hunt in the evenings based on the wind I was getting and the access points I had. Luckily, um, I, one of the first spots I found, uh, I was able to go back and eventually attack. And I had to start with a little bit more medium circle. I don't know if that makes any sense what I'm saying. When I say I'm starting with a larger circle, it's a general area I'm looking down at each day. I want to get closer and closer to where I, I ultimately want to set the stand. Um, and I, I'm not going to say started over, but kind of regrouped on day two or three and started finding some pretty serious sign of what seemed like a pretty good buck. And the very next morning is when I ended up, you know, fortunate enough to take them. So, um, from your map scouting, right? So you're used to looking at, you know, Florida vegetation to Michigan vegetation. And you've talked about the differences in trees and the, you know, 
the thickness and, and all this stuff. Um, when you got here and I think, you know, it happens to us no matter where we go, like John and I, when we went to Idaho, we're like, Oh yeah, we'll just go over here. And it was like, yeah, we're not going to go over there. Um, that's, you know, that, that trail hasn't been cut in 40 years and there's, you know, blowdowns for as long as you can see. Um, you know, you, you get, sometimes you, you do your map scouting and then you show up and you're like, yeah, that's not what I expected at all. Um, what was that like for you? And then what did you run into as far as like other hunter sign pressure, uh, you know, other hunters and how did that affect your hunt? I did not realize how many people use bright eyes <laughs> until I came to Michigan. And I, I finally realized that the best way to determine hunting pressure is to wait until the night before, go out there with a flashlight just to see how many bright eyes you see. And you can really tell more about an area by the bright eyes with a you know flashlight just to see than you can from tire sign or any sort of um, stands or anything along the likes. But I, I found that a lot of the hunter pressure was right by the roads. Um, you could see them near the roads. I mean, mind you, these are dirt roads, not pavement, you know, busy highways. But it, it wasn't but a few hundred yards off of the main roads did you start seeing a lot less human sign. Um I'll tell you, I was pretty surprised. I ended up hunting the hills a lot more because that's uh, it's easier for me to e-scout um, elevation because the contour lines make it a little bit easier for me to have general ideas of where to start. Um, and some of these walks, thinking it's not going to be that bad with a you know mile and a half, two mile walk. I mean, I've been fairly good shape. You know, been you know training as much as you can for anything like this for hunting season. I walk a lot in Florida and Alabama. But I'm telling you, those hills are a different beast. Uh, you know, mile to two mile up some some of these pretty steep hills. I, I call them mountains. I know you guys call them hills, but they damn sure look like mountains to me. Um, I also realized why there wasn't a whole lot of human pressure up there because I, I, one of my spots took me two hours to get to the first morning I went there. Mind you, it was, took me a little bit longer because I was trying to attack it at night for the first time uh, or in the dark. But to take two hours and, you know, when it's, it was pretty cold that one Monday morning, I think it was in the low, high twenties, low thirties, and just to be completely drenched in sweat. I mean, it was, it was tough. So when you, you know, so you're the new guys at camp, right? And mm -hmm. you're, you're the completely the new guy. Uh, these people I'm assuming have been hunting Michigan like their whole lives or, or whatever. Um, when you were telling them, this is where I'm going to hunt, or this is where I'm looking at, like, what was the response or like, how, how was that received? It was playful banter. You know, we were the guys coming from Florida. They kept saying, Oh, team Florida is doing this team Florida, you know, kind of giving us a hard time. I don't think they actually meant anything, you know, by it or, or question or, or skill on what we were doing. It was just, um, they kept making comments to the fact that, well, y'all aren't killing any more deer than we are. And you're gone the entire day. <laughs> and we were, I mean, I'm telling you what we were one night we had to make dinner and we still, I mean, we had a lot of angry people waiting for us by the time we got back, we had, you know, venison burgers, but we were gone the entire time because it just getting out of the stand and getting back to the truck took forever. Um, but I'll tell you what, they were as much as they gave us a hard time when we came back because I, one part, I guess I, I failed to mention my, my buddy killed a six point the night I killed my nine point. 
So I, I killed mine in the morning. He killed his that that evening. Um, and be able to come back to camp with the the six and the nine point in the back of the truck. I'm telling you, I've never seen guys so excited for somebody else's deer. <laughs> um, because that's that's the biggest deer that they've ever had in camp. I, humbly, I think by a long shot, I think by a good margin. And they were so happy for it not to be their deer. I don't know if I've ever been happy, that happy for someone else's deer. It was like a, a camp experience, I guess, to have it come back. So before we get into like that hunt and like kind of how everything went down, because I I think it's kind of comical just from like being on the other end of the the messages um, for me, right? But how was you know were these guys getting on deer? Were there was anybody else like did anybody else get any deer? Were they shooting at deer? Um, you know what what was that like? There were a couple oak trees killed in the meantime. <laughs> um, and somebody, I think the day before, two days before, actually killed a seven point, which would have matched the, the biggest deer ever killed in camp history. So I'm talking about the APR and how that's working. And I think, I'm not sure about this, but I think that was his first deer ever. Um, but no, uh, other than that, uh, I don't think there's, um, th- there might've been one other, um, one doe killed prior as well. Never saw that deer. Um, and I really just saw that because of a, a Facebook post and the campsite afterwards, but, um, I, I wasn't actually aware of it at the time, but again, we, I didn't get to see anyone's deer because by the time we got back there, it was late and half the people are either in bed or, you know, disposed of the deer, whatever they did with it. So what was their, uh, like, uh, overall, uh, hunting style, I guess, um, just because like, you know, you were uh, hunting with, uh, a mobile setup and everything like that. And a lot of times guys will, you know, be ladder stand guys or they're, they're completely, you know, welded to a spot. Right. Um, ladder stands. Um, it was all either ladder stands or what do you call them? Ground blinds, pop-up ground blinds. And it was all history. Mind you, these, these guys have a lot of history in the area. So, Hearing them talk, it's not like I'm going, you know, 6.3 miles west. They're talking to, hey, I'm sitting in the spot that Johnny saw the big buck four years ago, or I'm sitting in the spot that we missed the buck two years ago. Um, everyone kind of knew the area. So, I mean, it wasn't um, necessarily from fresh scouting. Now, some people would move their stands around, for example. like They'd have the – hey, I'm just making this up, but the spot that Johnny missed the buck four years ago, he might go to that spot and – you know, someone might have kind of already claimed that as their typical area and they'd go and move the ladder stand somewhere else. But as I'm assuming we've all kind of grown up hunting ladder stands from time to time, you know how difficult that can be and how time consuming that can be to move a ladder all the way across. And you're probably not moving it very far. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things like with my father-in-law and and, you know, his buddy Ernie and I'm trying to get John to go up to out like our family property it's like I love it when new people step on the ground because you have zero history with, you know, Johnny seen a buck over there. Like, no, I was going down the trail and I seen a bunch of sign here and there were some rubs. So I'm going to work my way back there. Like, and probably the same thing you get, you know, oh, Team Florida thinks they're going to reinvent the wheel, you know. Um <laughs> But then those are the guys that get on deer because the, those deer pattern you. And, and, you know, that mind you, this is on a you know, smaller piece of piece of private, but, you know, with, even with public, I think, you know, that being mobile, like 
I hate the like changes the game, but I just think it opens up so much more opportunity, you know, for you to be successful by adjusting to what you're seeing. And I think that that's, that's a huge thing that I think gets, you know, for a lot of people who are set in their ways or whatever, um, it just gets overlooked. It's just too much hassle or, you know, afraid of the dark or, or, or whatever. Um, so for you, like when you ended up, uh, killing your buck, like take us through, uh, like finding that spot and setting up there. And then ultimately like the hunt that, that was. Okay. Um, so I had two general areas of which I, I wanted to hunt and I'm kind of being very broad here because I, we had this one dividing line where I, I told my buddy, Hey, you hunt all this side over here. And I kind of had some spots set up for him to start scouting. Now I'm going to hunt this side. That way we all, we can both move around for our own well over mile squares without either one of us kind of infringing on the other's area. So I believe it was get my days mixed up now, but uh, I guess Monday was the big cold snap we had. And that was the day we wanted to hunt it. So maybe it was Sunday that we decided midday, we're going to go hunt the area. And I found the area because it seemed like there was a, I'm not going to say easy, but a clear cut path of where we could walk for about a mile plus before we actually even got into the woods much. Like it was pretty good trail before we were able to divide it in split ways. Um, so we decided to do that halfway and there was a spot and we kind of joked because my buddy called it buck paw instead of, you know, hoof, whatever you would call it. And you know, we laughed about it, but it, it was a very, very large track. We saw, you know, 0.75 miles up. I'm not sure somewhere before we, before we were about to break. And, um, I actually marked it on my little hunt stand app just to see exactly where, you know, we were going to meet up. That's where we determined, Hey, in four hours, three hours, whatever it was, we're going to meet back up here. If we don't have any service, because I had, you know, pretty sketchy service up there from time to time. So we'll meet back up here. If we don't text just come back to this spot. So I actually had a, a deer track in the middle of the road for me to meet back up on my application. Well, I went way back in there, found a spot that I ultimately hunted that following Monday. And as I'm coming back to meet my buddy, maybe three or 400 yards up, up this hill, I, I see the largest deer track I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was an absolute giant of a track. If, if you guys told me that Michigan had elk, I'd be questioning. Uh, obviously I'm exaggerating. I mean, it, it was very large track. Um, and I noted that and I, I marked that on my app. I always try and mark anything I see noticeable. And it kind of, I, I drew a little line on my app just to see where I think he was going because it didn't make any sense from the road, why he'd be going from point A to point B, because it looked like there was a drop off on the side he was coming from. And he was just walking through brush. But again, within that same vicinity, I saw a deer traversing from point A to seemingly point B, and I wanted to check it out. Um, the next morning, I decided to hunt kind of close to that so that even if I wasn't able to get in there, I could at least scout that area a little bit more. Um, and I set up on a terrible spot. So I guess this was Tuesday morning. Um, yeah. So I set up on a terrible spot Tuesday morning. Um, one of those, right, right when the sun comes up, you're like, damn, what have I done? You know, I really should probably get down because don't have much view. 
you know, if, if when they do come out, I'm going to get busted. I'm skylined here. It was just, it was not a good area, but um, felt kind of invested in it. And I wanted to, if nothing else, kind of use it and see, because I was able to see a long ways, but any of the areas I could see, I knew the deer weren't going to be coming within range. So I stayed with it and I didn't see any deer that morning until, I mean, very last minute, I saw a, what seemed like a large deer going somewhat near. I saw that track, but then just getting completely lost. She went behind a tree, never saw him again. And it should have been wide open on that area. And what I couldn't tell from the map is that there was a very skinny ridge that was going straight up with two lower areas on either bottom side that he just kind of traversed the opposite side of me going up that ridge. And it made sense. That was, again, a few hundred yards away from where the other one was, the, the last track I had seen. But again, saw a large deer. Um, saw what seemed like could have been a large track going back up there and thought I had figured out where he was going. I looked on the map and actually walked down where he was coming from and walked up where I I think he was going to, and it kind of clicked and it made sense to what I thought he was doing. Again, assuming that the deer I saw that day was, you know, that buck, um, and, uh, looked it on the map and kind of tussled with it for a while because it's a pretty limited spot. There's no, I mean, there's maybe one rub going up this ridge, but not a whole lot else. But again, just seeing significantly large tracks going through this area. So I walked up that day after the bad hunt and and found what I thought was a pretty good tree that would attack not only that area, but it seemed like some other trails that could have possibly coming up from behind me. The wind would have been right. And and I, I set up on it and Kind of moving forward, I'm skipping the evening hunts, of course, but it, it, those didn't really help me get to where I got with my buck. Um, so kind of fast forwarding to the next morning, I set up on that tree that I had found Tuesday morning. So this is now Wednesday. And uh, I, I set up and I immediately texted my buddy and said, I don't care if I see a deer here or not. This is the spot. Um, the exact opposite of what I told him the day before. I said, this spot's terrible. This is the one. I actually have pictures of it. Now, I posted in the pictures with uh, my buck. It was just a beautiful picture. Perfect. What you'd watch on a TV show setup. I mean, I, I could see him coming from my left. I, could, I mean, it, it was, everything was perfect. Um, and I had just taken a picture of this black squirrel because where we're from, we don't have black squirrels. It's a fascinating thing to me. We have gray squirrels and these black squirrels look like young dogs to me, but I just got done taking a picture and all of a sudden I see this deer. I mean, coming in on a string exactly the way I would have planned him to come if I could have set it up in a movie coming straight up this ridge. Um, and the only thing he, he did that kind of concerned me is now my tree is facing down this ridge so that I'm kind of shooting him at about 1130. Not, um, you know, obviously you want to shoot to your left, left being, you know, nine o'clock and the wind was blowing, let's just say blowing to my two o'clock. That would have been the perfect shot. I could have gotten around the tree the way I had it set up, and it would have been an absolute easy 20-yard shot. But even though the wind wasn't supposed to be going that direction, my milkweed was blowing straight down this spot, which would have been the perfect shot for me. Um, So I was naturally very nervous because he was coming right up the trail that would have gotten there, and you never know what they're going to do if they – I mean, he could have gotten to that spot and smelled me and stopped, give me just enough time to take the perfect shot. Or he could have gotten there, smelled me, and darted. Um, 
so he stopped and you know, took a couple bites. I, I guess Acorns at about, I want to say it was 38 yards at the time. And I decided to take the shot, um, drew back, and I hit this very large limb in front of me with my bow, which made it, you know, they always say to practice, of course. And I always do. I, I draw back with my actual hands, not the bow. Um, but made learned from that mistake because it was the bottom of my actual bow was hitting. You don't really notice that when you pull back with your hands. And um, Ultimately, was able to adjust, took the shot, and my first instinct, I thought I hit him, but I thought I was low. Um, got very nervous and learned a very hard lesson in saddle hunting that you got to let your adrenaline calm down a little bit before you get out of the tree because – you know, it's a very long, lengthy, tedious, careful process of transferring from your tether to your lineman's rope. And I'm not going to say I jumped out of that tree, but it was pretty close. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, it was it was hard getting up the tree as it was because I, I had, you know, steps kind of going around the tree, around different limbs. And I was I, I just climbed down those things very quickly, um, kicked one of my you know sticks out. Didn't I was just getting down as quick as I could because I didn't know for sure that I didn't miss him. Um, thought I hit him, but there was no, that watermelon sound when you punch him. It, I, I thought it was very possible I hit heart because I mean, I, I always kind of aim for that area. Didn't really seem to duck the arrow that much. Um, found a bloody arrow, found good blood on the arrow and decided to try and calm down and get back in my stand because maybe I skipped this part. After when he, when I shot him, he, you say he just jumps. He takes three jumps, bounds off, I guess, to his 11 o'clock, turns around, just, just takes three three jumps, and then starts kind of walking down this hill, this tail down. Didn't necessarily act like a hit deer. Mind you, as I'm watching him, I thought it was very possible. I was about to watch him just, you know, take a tumble and fall over um, because he, you know, I, I thought possibly I got him right in the heart and he was going to be a dead deer walking. He keeps on going down the hill, and I never saw him fall. Um, to the extent I actually started grunting at him a little bit just to see if he'd even react to it. Never looked, nothing. That's when I ultimately checked the arrow, and pretty quickly after then decided that because of the size of the buck is one of my, if not my biggest buck, certainly my biggest bow buck, um, is when I messaged my uh, friend from the internet, messaged Adam, <laughs> said, "Hey man, I, I shot a huge buck. Do we?" Uh, uh, you don't have any dog trackers and anybody just in case. And, and this time I didn't even know it was going to rain. It was a 3% chance of rain, which I had already checked. And of course it rained for, you know, hours that morning drizzled on and off. Um, yeah. So, and so real quick, let's, uh, so like the day before you would message me and you said, you know, Hey, you know, if you're going to be in the area, you know, we're going to be having lunch at, this time he's like, I love to buy lunch. And this is the day before. And I said, Oh man, I got to work tomorrow, but you know, how's the hunt going everything. And you were, it's, you sounded kind of defeated. It was like, Oh yeah. You know, we're not really seeing any chasing. There's just a couple little bucks here and there, you know, and like maybe you said your buddy seen a good buck or maybe you did or something. And I was like, you know, it's a perfect time of year. Like it only takes like one minute to, to change, but like, keep me updated you know and so here i am like i'm at work getting everything ready and like my phone's like 
And it's like, I just shot the biggest buck of my life. Like, I think I hit him low. And I'm like, no kidding. Like, you know, and so it makes it really difficult for me to like work because I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm living vicariously through, through Justin here. And so I'm, I'm like, okay, so, and I'm, uh, I'm doing like exactly what I would be doing like with, with John or Frank or, you know, I think maybe like. Uh, my brother-in-law Chris, or like one of my brother, like my maybe my brother Drew would be like a better example because, like you know, I, I know that you've done it like a million times, and I could tell just by your text that you were like, you know, this is a really big book, and you're trying to figure out like, you know, what do I do? And I'm like, well, did you follow the blood? Like, no, you know, I and I didn't realize that you'd like just jumped out of the tree and grabbed your arrow. So, you know, this is, but this was like, he's like, I just shot him, and this was like, I don't know, seven thirty or something. It, it was early and, you know, so I'm going through like, you know, what is it? Does the, does the arrow smell gutty? Does it, you know, and he sends me a picture of a leaf and I'm like, are those bubbles in there? He's like, I think it's bubbles. I'm like, okay, that's good. Like how far did you follow the blood? You know, and going through like, what did the deer do when you shot him? You know, like all the normal stuff. And then, you know, and he's like, well, I need to find a dog. And I'm like, well, so I sent you all the information for like the for Brian, uh, for Tony, and then the 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 list of of trackers. And so I'm like, you know, how far are you from the truck? I'm like, go back, get breakfast. You were gonna get lunch today, anyways. Like, go, you know, you know, do whatever you got to do if you got to let this deer lay or whatever. And uh, you know, what what's going through your mind at that point? Because like it's it's hilarious to me because at the end of the day you know we we texted and it's like well what'd you do after you shot this deer well i messaged this guy from the internet of course <laughs> you know like that's that's exactly what i would do um tell you what this was and for anyone who ever who's ever been in that situation that's deer hunters therapy because we are i'll speak for myself i was so amped that i couldn't even be in the area without i wanted to track the blood so bad but i didn't want to push the deer and hearing just it wasn't anything outside the box of what you you're necessarily telling me to do, but it's exactly what a calm person should be telling me to do. Um, and it was nice to hear that of calm down for a second, go, go grab a snack, do something. And I did, I I walked away for quite a white ways just to make sure I wasn't in the area because as far as I knew the deer could be just on the other side of the Hill where this terrain was, um, if I was afraid, if I followed the blood, he could be laying just past where I had seen him and I didn't want to jump the deer. Um, I didn't want to take any chances. Um, but it was, it, it was nice to have someone tell me exactly what I would have told somebody else to do in that same circumstance. Who's like, thinking straight. I certainly wouldn't. It's like back when you shot the buck. This one here. Yeah. I just got back from Montana and, uh, Adam called. He's like, I just shot a buck. I'm like, okay. So. How'd you, well, he was, I shot him in the neck. Like I usually do. <laughs> I'm like, okay, did the arrow go through him? Like this and that. I'm like, and he told me everything about him. I'm like, he's dead. He's going to be dead. He's, you know, I'm like, just, I said, I'll, I'm getting my shit together. I'll be out there in a minute, but I guarantee he's dead. But you know, the, the scenario, the way he described it and everything. And I'm like, and of course we got out there. There he was. But so, so you, uh, you went and took a break, and then what happened? Well, it started raining on me. Um, I think somewhere in between my messages with Adam, I, I, I was going to go drop everything off. I told him I'm dropping everything off the truck. I was going to go get my tag because 
Um, I hope I'm not saying anything. I hope I'm complying with everything Michigan had here. Certainly didn't touch the buck without my tag, but didn't actually have my kill tag. Actually, I, I did have it in my bag, but I thought it was in my truck. So I was walking back to my truck to get that before I ever approached the deer. And uh, as I do that, it starts raining on me. Again, I checked the radar or the forecast to what's going on here. Um, and the radar shows nothing, but it starts raining pretty hard at that point in time. Um, so I immediately went to the blood just to try and get some sort of an idea where the trail was. I turned my tracing on and my app just to have some sort of a line. So I had a general idea. And at that point, I think Adam said, you know, follow the blood because it, it did look like good lung blood. And I was able to walk at a pretty good clip following the blood. I mean, I was just walking like, you know, not necessarily tracking blood. I was just walking, seeing a pretty good carpet of blood. Um, and of course they do what deer do and hit this little circle, made one big loop and somehow or another went up a hill. And they always say they don't go up a hill, but I've damn sure had quite a few deer go uphill when they're injured. Um, I don't know who said they don't because they do and followed it up there and found something that looked like pink Kool-Aid that could not have been blood. I still, to this day, have no idea what it was because it was not on the deer trail. I mean, I, I ended up calling a dog eventually. And what I found is maybe 50 yards up this other side of the trail. I, I have no idea what I found, but I decided at that point to kind of back out. Um, and as we're walking, kind of hard to explain the direction on a podcast, but the way to get back to the truck was kind of the direction the deer was going. He was kind of going towards the truck. And to get back, we kind of looked down this, you know, I call it a mountain. I guess you call it a hill, thousand foot elevation. And Buddy says, is that your deer? See, see something run off. And at that point, I am dejected because this was a far ways off. This is probably two hours after I shot at this point. And my idea was if I hit his lungs, it's a dead deer. If that is my deer, I'm screwed because I'm not necessarily seeing any blood going down this hill. And that means he had to go down this thousand foot hill. And I called the dog and I'm, you know, of course I'm, talking at him, trying not to be the negative Nancy here, but he's saying exactly what you were saying. Uh, if, uh, this is a dead deer. You're going to find the deer. And I'm, I'm saying, Hey, I'm just trying to stay positive here because I did not feel that way. We went and had lunch at, I'd love to plug the place because it had such a phenomenal lunch, something turnaround in Messick. You know, the restaurant I'm talking about, maybe Jenny's turnaround or roundabout. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple old restaurants up there and they've changed, okay. changed names. So, we were sitting there and I, I'm just absolute Debbie downer thinking there's no way I find this deer. And this nice woman, Renee comes out with her wire haired Dotson. And I'm telling you, the dog found the deer in 10 minutes. It was real quick, went right down the hill. So the deer that my buddy saw was my deer crossed over the path that we ultimately walked on. And thank God we walked out of there as quiet as we could. I mean, we, we tiptoed. Um, and he had to have watched us for where he was. We found him dead. He had to have, we probably passed within 40 yards of him on the way back out to the truck. Um, and she found that deer dead. And I'm telling you, that was the best feeling after waiting hours to eventually find that deer. So where was the hit then? I guess he was quartering two because you talk about a neck shot. It was pretty darn close to it. Um, the exit wound is exactly where you'd want it. Exit wound was, I mean, if, if you were to 
take 10 hunters and ask where to shoot a broadside deer, that's exactly where the exit wound was. But the entrance wound was low, but far forward. And I don't remember the shot being far forward. Of course, it's a little fuzzy. Um, certainly no, no video footage. And the only thing I can think of is I wasn't accounting for the fact that maybe he was courting toward to me. And I, I just shot kind of, I always aim for the exit hole, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. And I guess as I'm doing that, I, I hit where I was aiming low, but I mean, it was a, it was a good low. And I, I think I just one lunged him. Um, best thing I can think of, because there's no way that that deer would have made it that far. I think it ended up being almost 700 yards. Um, he wouldn't have made it that far if I double lunged him. Right. And so you, you get this dog, you dog takes you to him in 10 minutes. Like you, you must, you know, probably go to the last blood and then the dog just says, okay, this is where it's at. Um, you know, you talked about being, uh, Debbie Downer, like, oh, this is, you know, never going to happen for me. Wounded this deer, biggest deer in my life to now you're standing over the bar. And I, I mean, me of all people, like I know this scenario, like I, I, I did the exact same thing in Ohio, um, but found mine by a miracle, <laughs> miracle. John found this deer and it was dogs that found it. They were just coyotes, but it was just, a, just the strangest of uh, scenarios. But for me, it was like, uh, almost like disbelief because, you know, mine, we had to let lay overnight and all these, these things. And it was just like, I can't believe that and he this, was going up a mountain too. He, he went up a mountain. We found a bed where he was overlooking, like he, he had to have like just watched us come up and then mm. took off up over the, the side, you know, like completely unbeknownst to us, like everything that like, when you listen to all the podcasts and everything, like this deer did exactly what what he, what you would have expected him to do uh, in that scenario. So you, you know, a dog goes over there and they're like, "Oh, yep, we got your deer." And like, so what what's going through your mind at that point? Well, I asked the lady before I hugged her. I said, "Ma'am, you mind if I give you a hug?" And I think I might have broken her. She was all about five foot nothing, and I don't think I ever squeezed somebody that hard. I was so happy. Um, I was in disbelief, to be honest with you. Um, you never want to have a negative mindset on something like that. But I, I I had very serious doubts because the area, if he kept on going, it was the thickest area I had seen. And in, in the entire time I was in Michigan, it was going to get real wet, real swampy, real fast. Um, and, and I knew that. I knew that if he had gone through that area, that's the area he was going of. We've all had our bad experiences. We've all, um, or at least I can certainly attest, I've, I've lost a, a good deer before that, still haunts me. Um, and, you know, you kind of have that replaying over in your head when, you know, everyone else with calmer minds is saying, Hey, this hall looks good. The blood looks good. Of course I made the mistake of posting on Facebook and asking for question. I never should have asked. Yeah. But as I'm sitting, waiting, trying to buy time, you have everyone sit here and tell you, you're never going to find that deer. You, know, you have a lot of, a lot of people who aren't necessarily the friendliest on, on Facebook. <laughs> and don't really care about uh, the feelings you're going through. <laughs> and everyone told me that it brisket, 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 not, of course, not everyone, but many people said that don't even bother looking for the deer. Um, and, you know, luckily that wasn't the case that they were going that because there was, there was some white hair at the shot where I hit him. Um, but again, very experienced tracker. She explained this to me. I wish I had, you know, better remembered exactly as she told me, but there's a difference between the soft hair and the hard hair. 
hard hair, I believe, being the brisket. Um, and she was able to tell me she didn't think that's what it was, and it, it ultimately wasn't. Um, but man, I'm, question is, how did that make you feel? And it, it was a very high emotion. I, I can't tell you. I, I was on cloud nine. And then from like, because just this the scenario kind of like parallels like the, my buck a, a little bit. So you obviously you went and had lunch with your buddy, like whatever. And you had told me, you know, this would be your personal best buck is what you call a, a great deer. And it's a, it's a great deer. You guys can, you will see the pictures on the, on the, you know, podcast information, but um, like you're explaining this deer to your buddy, you know, and I feel like when I explained the deer that I killed to these guys, I was like, this deer was as wide as my shoulders. It's this big. And they're like, ah, oh, you'll find, you'll just, you know, you probably won't get this deer, you know, but you'll shoot another one. I'm like, you don't understand. Like this buck was humongous, you know? And they're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're explaining this deer to your buddy, like what was his reaction? Like, Hey, like when you told him you shot a good buck and then the scenario, and then, then you end up finding it. Like what was his reaction to it? Well, I, I think he believed me off the get go. Cause I'm, I'm pretty straight shooter when it comes to these deer. I, I almost um, downplay it before I'll tell you it was bigger than what he was. Um, and when I tell you it was one of the biggest deer I've, I've ever killed, finding the blood of I me, mean, it's not like, you know, the one that got away at this point in time, I certainly didn't think he was getting away. So um, he was, he was excited for me. Um, the way I described it to him is because mind you, he was the one who kind of told me about the area and what his family had told him. I said, this is a deer that we didn't think existed up here. Um, not, this was much bigger than the target buck we were after. Um, and I explained it and heard it on one of these podcasts and someone's strategy is once they realize it's a shooter buck, they don't look at the horns again. Um, and, and I've been trying to use, you know, mentally go through those reps in your head as you're practicing all summer of not doing that and preparing not to look at the antlers. And I did a, I'll say I did a half-assed job of that. I did a pretty good job. Because all I remember, and I kept saying, I said, there's something with his brow tines. I don't know if he has huge brow tines. There's something cool about his brow tines, but I don't know. I could just see him out of the corner of my eye in, in memory. And he ended up having a split brow tine. So what I remembered was accurate about him, but I just, it was almost like a peripheral memory. But it, it was, he was about as ecstatic as could be when he saw it because it, you know, he, he certainly takes some pride in showing that to his family too, because this is his, you know, whether it be through his wife, it's his family too. And he had to probably hear a little bit more of the, the talking more than I did because the guys didn't know me until camp. So all the, all the trash talk was probably relayed straight to him about how, you know, these Florida boys aren't going to come up here and do anything. And he was vindicated to say the least to, and that was, again, he shot his buck maybe an hour and a half, two hours after I found mine. And, you know, he, he, he was about as happy for me as you possibly could be. So that was the the next question that I wanted to to have, like, so in that time, you know, so you found your buck and then he's like, well, I'm going to go back out hunting. And you said you pulled up to the camp with both of those bucks in the truck. So the guys back at camp had no idea, like what any of this was transpiring, like throughout the day. And then what did you do in the in the meantime, like while he was hunting, you're just like, I'm going to sit and look at my deer or like, what was the plan? <laughs> well, so when, when he went hunting and again, I'm, I say this in a way not to take any credit for him. He, he's, 
we we've kind of learned a little bit with the mobile setups together, but I have more of the experience of e-scouting. And I'm, you don't ever want to say teaching somebody. I'm kind of showing him what I've learned through the years of hunting, bedding, trails, why I do what I do. Um, and he's eager to learn some of this stuff. So on that day, I knew I wasn't hunting. I, if I never found that buck, I, I don't think I was picking my bow up again. Yeah, I probably would have, but at that time, I certainly didn't feel like I was. Um, so I told him to go and get his sticks and his saddle on. And I was going to walk through the area because going back to the beginning of the story, I told the area he was hunting is also an area I e-scouted as if I was scouting for myself. And there was one area that he had not looked at yet that just looked promising to me. It was like this natural hub. It was, it was beautiful. I mean, a beautiful terrain feature. And I wanted, you know, since I wasn't going to be hunting, I took a lot of joy in kind of scouting with him, looking at the area. And I said, for this one hunt, it's kind of, you know, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how I would handle what I would do. And then you do whatever you want to, but I'll tell you exactly what I would do. So we walked around probably mile and a half, two mile loop around this area, um, looked in area he was sitting, um, looked at kind of some of these ridges coming around and every single way we walked down, I said, notice that it looks like we always kind of naturally go down to this hub. And that's probably what the deer are doing. If they're circling the same area you've been seeing, because mind you, he was seeing chasing, then eventually they're, they're going to come back down into this. And I think this is just a great buck spot. And, you know, he agreed, looked at it and he set up, we found a tree. He got his sticks out and I walked back out to the truck. So I'll pick you back up here. And he ultimately killed one there that night. And that was, I take a lot of, you know, joy in that because it was something we were able to kind of walk around. I saw exactly the tree he set up and I felt like I was able to hunt vicariously through him because I had seen that spot through, whether it be Onyx, Spartan Forge, Hunt Stand. I had seen that spot through every different app and to actually see it in person and then actually have my buddy kill one there that night was about as special as it could be without you being the one pulling the trigger. And so you guys, you know, kill these deer, show back up at camp. And like you were messaging me, like, you know, are there any processors that are going to be open and all that? So what was that process like? So you go back, you bring these deer into camp and everybody's hooting and hollering. And like, if it was like the day that I killed uh, the deer and we recovered it, uh, <laughs> we drank like 130 beers. And that's not exaggerating. No. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and then then we figured it out the next day. Uh, but you guys were you know getting ready to go home and and all that stuff. So what was your process? And you know because of all the new rules where you can't take bones and brains and all the stuff across state lines, you know, and you're on a kind of a time crunch when you got to get back home or you got to be done hunting by a certain time. Um, what was the process like on getting those deer out of there? So once we got back, we quickly realized that's why I messaged you that the guy with the butt poles, coolest mechanism. I've never seen one of these, was, the ones that you you put in the actual tailgate of your truck or the, the hitch of your truck and not the one you, you drag up. It actually had cords that connect to your motor, your truck battery and lifts and hoists the deer up. So really cool. Either way, he left that day. Unbeknownst to me, he was gone and we didn't have a pole anymore. So we get back and everyone says, all right, we'll figure it out in the morning. I didn't love the idea. Um, you know, so ultimately that is what we had to do. Couldn't find a process, couldn't find a pole, couldn't find a real good tree to clean it. I probably could have just laid it down and, you know, cleaned it like they do out West and deboned it. But 
uh, I'm not real familiar with that. And I think by the time we got there and celebrated, I'm not sure we had 130, but got pretty <laughs> close to that. We just uh, made our, our job of putting as much ice as we could on. We, you know, we split them open. I already gutted them out in the field because it was there's no way I was getting that sucker out of there without taking as much weight off of them as possible. And we just put ice and somebody put some contraption of aluminum foil around the deer. I don't know if that's a, a Michigan thing or maybe just a drunken innovation. Of, <laughs> but, you know, it couldn't have hurt. I don't know if it was supposed to be keeping it somewhat cold in there, but we made sure that the ice was pretty good and got up at daybreak the next day and took it to the nearest processor who thankfully was able to expedite it and process it within a day. We picked it up the following morning on our way out of town. Nice. And I, I got mine mounted, so I, I didn't have anything else to bring back. And I'm hoping to pick it up next year if they'll, you know, have me back at the family camp. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Are you like now ostracized? Like, are you like the black sheep? Like, can't come back. This guy can't come back. Who brought the ringer? <laughs> they loved it. I'm telling you, they they have a trophy that they actually have of like every year, like whoever gets the trophy. And I feel bad because they all have the same last name. I'm going to be the first person there without a, you know, the the family crest last name on there, but they sent the trophy back home with us because, you know, it was whoever kills the biggest buck or however, however many deer, I guess, were killed. And it goes back to, I think this trophy itself goes back to like 1987, if I recall. Um, but I'm telling you that there was no, it wasn't like a competitive, oh, this, you know, son of a gun. It, they were excited. And it was, it was cool to me because it felt like the next morning, maybe, maybe one or two more guys were getting up in the morning and, you know, maybe they were, getting out there a little bit earlier the next evening. Cause it's once you see something like that out there and I'm not telling you it was the biggest buck you ever seen in your life, but it was certainly bigger than anything they expected to be seeing out there. It kind of gave them some motivation to go out there and hunt. And I think that it has everybody a little bit more excited for next year to maybe think outside the box and try different methods. You know, that, that night I'm literally, I guess it was the following night. I'm showing them what a saddle is. They, didn't really care to know and see what it was, but then I'm you know out there demonstrating what it is to kind of spread the word of how we were hunting the whole time. So this, I mean, one of the questions I always ask near the end is um, what bow setup. I'm just asking a little early because I wanted to know what like what your arrow setup, what broadhead, and what bow you're shooting on this buck. Matthews VXR 31.5. Um, just had it restrung right before the trip. Um, shooting a victory VAP, the the micro diameter arrows. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I knew all the numbers. Uh, I want to say it was 515, 515 grains. Mm-hmm. Um, could be wrong on that. It could be closer to 600, but I want to say it's 515. Um, pretty sure. 17 FOC, 16, 17 FOC. Using rough calculations, I'm no expert when it comes to that stuff. I asked a guy I trust with a bow, um, and he said everything was good there. I'm shooting the Iron Will, solid 125s, um, and I, I love the setup. It was, you know, everything I've shot with them have blown right through. Shot a couple of does here in Florida and Alabama, and you know, shot a, shot a doe pretty early on. So nice. And what's your mobile hunting setup? I mean, because we always ask the bow setup, but I think that that's this pretty relevant here in this conversation. 
Um, like what kind of gear, what kind of saddle? Yeah. Sticks like platform, all that. So everything sticks and platform is lone wolf custom gear. I'm using really, I have four of the double sticks and I'm using the platform as the fix. Now the fix is the, the best piece of gear I have when it comes to the saddle world. I, I love it. it. It is as solid as it can possibly get. Once I get it ratcheted down, it might take me a time or two once I'm doing it, but it's nice knowing once I'm up there, it's solid. Um, for a saddle, I'm using the TX5 Lone Star. Um, I talked to the owner, Matthew Tompkins, a little bit. I was really asking everybody in the saddle world, you know, as many questions as I probably asked you when I was asking about Michigan hunting. Um, and and I, I love the company. I really like the saddle. I don't have a whole lot to compare it to, to be fair. Um, but you know, everyone talks about hip pinch. I don't know if I've ever experienced it. So maybe that's a good thing. It's my first saddle. Um, and I'm carrying it all in the, the Elberstock X2 pack. And if you guys have not tried that, I'm telling you what, it's incredible for, is that what you use? That's what I wrote. Yeah. Adam, Adam threw it at me the one year. I was like, what the hell am I going to do with that little thing? You know, I'm six, three and I'm like, that's looking a little short, but once I got it loaded up, I love it. I'm like, yeah, I'm keeping it. (laughs) I love the pack. It's you know, that leaves you wanting nothing when it comes to space and being able to keep everything. And of course, my my sticks and my platform actually marry together because they're both the loam. So they all lay flat on top of it. I can just strap them down and then I use the the top bungee, I guess, and the bottom to put jacket or anything additional I need on there. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's incredible. So uh, one question for you on that TX5. So we've got one of those um, and it is, I mean, when you look at, saddles and you look at whatever comes up for resale you know uh, very seldom do you see like the cruiser xc and almost never do you see a a tx5 uh but being down in florida like that lone star setup um the only thing for me is i would think in the hotter weather it would be not not so breathable just because of how padded it is and everything um, that would, that's my only question about it. And we don't really have to deal with it up here. And I have a hundred from it, but I've got a, a myriad of different saddles. I'm using my, like my fourth different saddle this year so far. So I can't tell you that I noticed that. Um, and I hunted pretty hot in Florida before I came down. Cause I, I made it a point to do nothing but saddle hunt before going up to Michigan, knowing that's going to be the tool I was using. Um, and that very well might be the case. So I'm, don't want anybody hearing this to sit there and say, you know, hey, that that's a non-issue. But again, that's the only saddle I've ever used. And I can't tell you that I've I really noticed any sort of significant um buildup of heat coming from that thing. Yeah. So. And and like I said, it may not be an issue, but like when you when I look at all the saddles like side by side by side, um, you know, uh, like w- one of the H2s is made out of some like almost like some vinyl backed material uh, that looked like it wouldn't be very breathable, but like all, you know, a lot of the other saddles have a basis of, of mesh. Right. And that mm-hmm. TX five, I feel like is solid material and then padding in the middle, you know? So it, it was just something that I was, I was curious about. So it makes sense. I would assume that it probably is less breathable than a lot of the other ones, because I know TX five makes a mesh back. They make the Lone Star in a mesh version and I'm assuming that's really the only reason they would make a mesh version. Um, again, I, I didn't, if I had the issue, I don't recall. Let's put it that okay. Way. Well, I think that that's 
high praise, right? Because if if it was an issue, because I mean, again, our buddy Walter down there in Florida, like all he does is complain about how sweaty it is and how hot it is and how it's so way worse than Michigan and so hard and all oh, their small deer and all these things, you know? So uh, like as much as I'm happy for you, like I hate the fact that you're from Florida and that you came up here and killed the deer in Michigan because it just validates everything that he says. And, you know, I can't. So has he come up to Michigan on it? No, he never leaves the state of Florida. He's uh, <laughs> he's he's one of these big talkers where he says, "I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this," and and he just stays at home. So <laughs> I think he hunts he he's, he hunts Georgia too, but uh, that's that's what he's uh, just outside of Tallahassee. So that's where he. I think they have some pretty big deer in that area because for some reason it doesn't feel like they would. But I've I've checked the record books. I've checked a lot of where the big deer come from in Florida and. You know, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure they have some pretty good sized deer in that area. Well, his co-host is like, he just brought in a ringer. Like, so his co-host is like a legit hunter who kills like Pope and Young Bucks down there um, all the time. And then Walter shoots spikes and like three points and stuff. <laughs> and uh, he, he, he talks to me about like passing deer. And then like, when you talk to him candidly, he's like, he's like, yeah, I really don't know what I'm talking about because I don't know what those deer i don't know what big deer look like so i'm like hey i i don't really either but i'm just i'm getting into bigger deer i'm I'm being around bigger deer a little bit more now and um it's just one of those things so um i guess for you it's really interesting because somebody told me earlier this year because like for our patreon hunt we did have a bunch of guys come from out of state Mm -hmm. uh, to hunt michigan which we all thought was like kind of absurd um you know just because of the stigma that michigan has is like a super pressured tough to hunt state not big bucks compared to the rest of the midwest um but like what were your uh, expectations coming up here because it doesn't sound like it was to kill like a big like trophy caliber buck it was just for the experience or like what were your expectations and what would you tell somebody who was like was afforded the same opportunity so they they had a an opportunity to come up and hunt with a deer camp or like one of their buddies up in Michigan or they could spend that same money and go to Iowa or Kansas or something like that. all the time it's all relative mm-hmm. um so that was the the joy I had was to set realistic expectations at first. Uh, of course, I've far exceeded that. But um, to me, I, I had realistic expectations to where a, a a decent buck, as long as it was a mature animal, was I was going to be stoked about it because everything I've heard was highly pressured, um, very hard to get a deer, and don't be alarmed if you don't see them for a couple of days at all. So that to me just was a, quite a bit of a challenge, and I, I love that. That's the idea of hunting. I don't necessarily like just sitting down and waiting for them. I enjoy the challenge, and the harder it is, the more I want to do it. Um, so I, I really took that to task and made me want to you know, scout harder, as corny as that might sound, made me want to go a little bit further just because it seemed like it was more of that challenge. So if you kind of look at it that way, that makes it more fun. It makes it more of um, an interesting setup as opposed to go, going to Illinois. If you go to Pike County, Illinois, and you have a, a setup where 
you know, you have the stand set up for you, which would be great. I mean, I'd, I'd go hunt it next week, so I'm not knocking it. But there it's, you know, it almost kind of feels like a failure if you don't do it. Whereas here it's, you got to work your tail off. And even if you do everything right, you still very possibly might not end up with one. Um, you know, I, I think I told you about it. One of my hunts, it was an evening hunt. I, I had done everything I thought right, had it all set up. And I get up there in my stand and I'm literally on my last stick setting up my, my platform bow on the ground, still attached to my bow rope. And I hear a buck walking in on me. He comes in 20, 25 yards and my bow is on the ground. Um, and if that was the last chance I had at a buck, I at least would have had some sort of validation thinking that, you know, I figured something out. Some of the, all the time I took scouting, he, he did what I thought he was going to do. And it's, if you're up for a challenge, I think Michigan's a blast. I mean, it was, I truly enjoyed it. I'll be going back just because it, it is a challenge. Um, but as for the pressured aspect, I did not notice that from the deer. That's the one thing that was surprising to me. I did not have deer coming out, like they say, looking up in the trees. I, I don't think I spooked any deer um, other than just walking. I don't think I had any come out and look for me immediately. And, and it felt like I was a lot of relaxed deer where I was at. Mind you, I wasn't probably where a lot of other people were, but it was, that part was a lot better than what I expected. Well, and the, the one thing too, is like a lot of that information is coming from guys like maybe similar to the guys that were in your camp that they're sitting in the same stand or very close to it. Like in their ladder stand, those deer know that stands there and they're coming out and they're like, Oh, is someone in it today? You know? And so when you go into a spot and it's your first sit, like we've talked about, I mean, everybody talks about, it. it's like, that's your best opportunity. The deer have no idea that you were there. You know, they're coming in, they're just doing their natural thing. Just like you've seen that deer, if it, if it was the same buck, he was going up that draw, just like, you know, he had probably hundred times, you know, this whole year. And then you've seen him from far away. Then you start moving in, moving in. And then, then that first set, there he, here he comes up it now had he got to the point where you said it, your wind was going to get to him and then alerted him to that and then he blew out well then you're going to come back and sit that well i seen this buck well you're not going to see him again you know mm -hmm. sit in that spot most likely not you know you're gonna have to regroup and try to get him you know you know he's in that area but it's probably not going to happen in that same scenario once he's alerted to your presence and that's where you know like all the the old timers, you know, sit in your same stand, you know, and the deer the deer know you're there. <laughs> but yeah, it's funny you, you say that because one of the areas I walked the furthest I, I think I walked from my truck in the same vicinity, I walked far enough to where I, I actually got pretty close to some private land. Um, and you could tell once you get a little too close to that threshold, then you are going to start seeing pressure from the other side. And it seemed like the stands were set up a little bit more gun-wise, but you started seeing, you know, some really cool rustic shooting houses that have been there clearly for years, ladder stands. And I set up away from them, but the deer I did see in that area, you never would have seen from those stands. Right. It, it was cool. Like if I was doing it all over again, that's one thing I really learned. I think a lot from this trip is even if it's not hunters in there, if you can kind of set up around what the deer know about the hunters, it kind of acts as its own terrain feature exactly. to get away and come to you. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And you know, from what, what you were saying is like, 
going in there in the first sit, right? But think of it, we think of like first sits as a, a completely mobile thing. Like when you were saying that, like you moved over there, like whatever. If you'd have went in there and lugged a ladder stand up there and threw it up and made all the noise and did all the sweat and, and caused all the commotion, like I think that first sit would have been different. You know what I mean? Like I think you, you know, but, but that's, you know, if, if you're looking at it from like a, a, a clearly informational standpoint and you're like, well, the first sit's the best sit, you you didn't say what you were how sitting in or how you were, how you were doing it. So um, I think, you know, for someone who is brand new and, you know, you say, well, hunt with whatever you got. And if you've got, you know, just a ladder stand on some. Well, I think that, you know, if you're going in there with a ladder stand, for one, a ladder stand, we all know they're awkward and they're loud. Like I guarantee you're not going to get it out into the woods and up a tree without making some kind of metal clinking. And and you know that that is, you know, sticks break in the woods all the time. Deer hear sticks breaking. They hear stuff dropping out of trees. There's squirrels, all that. Those are natural sounds. But when metal's tinking and clanking, that's not a natural sound. So that's, you know, like up at our deer camp, you know, I brought Jet, my son, and we went into this spot. And I had hunted there the night before, seen a couple does. And then we we're going to move around one of those potholes. And we got back and finally I was like, we, we need to get up in the tree. Well, the tree that like the, where we wanted to sit, there was no trees to get it. So then we, we skirted over a little bit and we get up, we're getting up in this tree. And I'm like, man, what you're saying, like we had pines around us and there was like no shots. Like it would have been like a five yard shot. So I'm like, just hold on. So I go over and grab this big deadfall, and I just freaking start <laughs> breaking dead limbs. And he's kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm like, shit falls out of trees all the time. Like, you know, the deer. And sure enough, we, you know, like it wasn't even 45 minutes when we first, the first two doe come through. And then like 45 minutes or 15 minutes or so, it was 7.45, so it was like 45 minutes before dark. Uh, he's A nice buck comes out and he sees it. And then, so that kind of like, it it kind of sparked him up. He actually went back up there when I was out in Montana. But it's like, you can make noise in the woods. You just don't, you know, you don't want to make foreign noises. And you don't want to be, you know, completely ridiculous running around out there. But, I mean, it's, there's guys that do that too. I mean... I think half the time it makes them more curious. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Certainly. So like, um, if you were to, if you were talking to like, I guess, cause you have had to, like you've had to tell this story a million times. I know that I would. Right. So like, how was this received for like that? Your buddies down in Florida, that hunt, or even the gun hunters down in Florida, like you, if, the deer are smaller in Florida or whatever. Like, you know, you're, you're saying that this is, would be a great book. It's a great book anywhere, but you know, what are, from all the stigma of Michigan hunting and all of this stuff for you to come back to your hometown. And like you said, like it was really difficult to, you know, be a bow hunter and, you know, talk about all these deer that you were seeing versus the deer that you were killing to come back and then into your circle of, 
of hunting people, you know, that you got surrounding you. Like, how is this received? Like your story? Like, is it piquing their interest where they're like, we need to go to Michigan or is it like, well, kind of, here's the problem. I don't think you guys realize how Michigan is perceived down South. Most people don't have a clue that Michigan is not Illinois and Iowa. They, they hear Michigan. And frankly, I did too. When my buddy first started going up there, I thought that, I mean, land of the actual giants. <laughs> I just did. Um, you know, I, this was before maybe I listened to more local podcast. Maybe I just maybe misunderstood, but everyone who I told I was going to Michigan, that was their first response was, Oh man, come back with a monster. Um, you know, so first I had to kind of temper expectations a little bit coming up here. And that's why I was making it very clear. Like you guys don't understand how proud I'll be if I come back with a decent eight point, like I'll, I'll be on cloud nine if that happens. And I'm again, trying to show what we're looking at here. Um, not to say that they were small, but just to like show that this is not, you know, some of these you see coming out in green fields on these TV shows. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure my friends are pretty tired of hearing my story, <laughs> but it's not stopping me from telling it. Um, and the, I think the part I enjoy telling the most, because the part I enjoy the most is the work that goes into it. I've killed really good bucks before sitting there, you know, sitting in a shooting house, sitting down a lane. Um, I, I've made one of my best bucks was a 400 yard shot. Um, very good shot with a rifle, but a lot of it's random and happen chance. Um, you know, and you don't, you don't know. I mean, it, there, there's a lot of luck that goes into it. There's a lot of skill, I guess, to kind of set it up, but the work between the scouting, the, the walking, the setting up the constant analysis, that's the part that, and it's not bragging when I, I, I explain it to people, but for the people that have not necessarily done it, I don't think they realize the joy that goes into that. The actual, it's not work. It, it's, it's you know, something that you think about 24 seven. And that's the part I'm trying to explain to him. Cause if you can't get into that, then you'll never truly experience the joy that comes from shooting one like this, because that's, that's the rewarding aspect of it. So that's the part that I keep trying to explain to people. It's not necessarily the, the shot because that could happen in Florida. That could happen this weekend in Florida for me, but it, it, you can't duplicate all the work that goes into it. And so that's just what, before we let you go here, one of the questions that I wanted to have for you, just from the story and, and everything and like how kind of ecstatic it, it seemed like you were. Um, and I think the word that you're looking for is like validation, right? And that's, that's what I love about bow hunting and especially like not having a million deer on camera or patterned or anything like that just going into an area kind of blind and saying like you should be able to kill a deer here and then even when you see a deer like that's a validation of like okay i can do this this is like i'm, I'm reading it right it, it, it's working um but yes you killed a, a great deer and like everything came together and the scenario was great but like how close to that is the scenario with your buddy's buck? Cause it seems like that's the, uh, along the same thing. It's like being able to say, this is the spot. This is a tree. This is the, the area, like, you know, two, two in one day. And to be able to like, uh, granted it's a different thing because you're out of state, but like unselfishly say like, okay, this is, this is how I would do it. Well, not only that also just, it's not just like one 
could be a fluke. But when you do two in the spots that, that you picked, e-scouted. So I was going to mention this right before this, but like there's guys like you're, you can send your buddies from Florida up here. And if they don't do all the work that you did, I guarantee one out, one out of 10 might kill something, but I guarantee you they won't have the success that you had because of all the, the time you put into it, e-scouting, figuring it out. But, but yeah, like, so how, how good does that feel versus like you killing that deer? Like it, they got to be right. Almost like parallel, right? Almost. I mean, that, that's exactly what to put it. I mean, almost identical. Now, just to be very clear what I'm saying there. I'm certainly not taking anything away from him. So in, in finding that tree in the setup, while I might've East scouted that area, it was kind of a teamwork. And, you know, I don't want it to make it seem like I went out there and, you know, pointed this tree said, here, buddy, this is your spot. Now. Um, I walked through, I just wanted him to see what I'm thinking because as I try and explain why I do what I do, whether it be in our, you know, he's in my lease in Alabama as well. He also hunts Florida. Um, I try and explain what I'm doing and not that I'm some expert, but as I'm doing it, I, it, it's hard to put it into words. Sometimes it's a feeling. Sometimes it's a, here's what I'm seeing. Here's why I like what I'm seeing. So that was the kind of the point of what we did that evening. And through what he was seeing, what I was seeing, we kind of got to that point of finding that tree. Um, sure. but so and saying, I'm, I'm not taking that away from him, but that, that felt, it was great. It was great to know that spot that I had seen so many different times from, like I said, all three of those, you know, hunting apps all came down to a spot that a few hours later, a buck walks down felt absolutely incredible. And I think to me that that's the, the best part about the whole thing is like, I, I could care less about, uh, shooting a deer in a, field or like shooting a shooting a deer that somebody's got a stand set up and they say well you know if you just want to kill a deer go over there and you know just just sit, come over and sit my stand and we'll, or like we'll getting get invited there. going down to ohio or somewhere and be like yeah come down i got some spots like go ahead this spot this spot this spot and dropping pins it's like yeah i've you know I kind of did that the first year I went to Ohio because I was like obviously on the mend and it was just like, yeah, okay, you guys did all the scouting. I'll just sit wherever. Well, <laughs> that's where I killed my buck is like where you guys were like, this is the, this is the spot, you know, and it's cool. I killed that buck and, you know, soup, an amazing uh, hunt. And I, I like, wouldn't trade it for the world, but now as it, I, everything is progressing, like th I'm getting more excited about like, like where I'm going in Ohio right now. Like we just did that podcast with Skyler and he and I, I showed him like where I was at. He said, oh, I'd look over here. Okay. I'm looking at this. Okay. The wind's going to be here. Like, this is what I'd look at. So I'm going to go in there and right. take a look, but it, it wasn't like, you know, he, I've seen deer here, so, exactly. so go here, you know. It's right, but be... it's kind of like what he was doing with his buddy. Yeah. Like, you guys, two minds are better than one. So you look at it, and you might see something different. And then and then walking the, the, the area, be like, you, know, you come to a conclusion together. So mm -hmm. not taking anything away from your buddy. And, oh, yeah, I know you're not. I just want to make yeah. sure what I see. Right, okay. yeah. Just if he listens to this, we're not, you know, like, oh, oh I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. Taking, take your buddy. Well, I mean, he didn't kill one last year, so I mean, 
<laughs> hey, I'll tell you one thing. He drilled that deer. Made a lot better shot than what I did. That track job took about, went about, I don't know, 40 feet, 40 yards maybe. But I'll tell you, I think what you were saying about the the analysis of it, I think that's what makes it fun for, you know, you can only hunt for so long and shoot so many deer that it, it's it's the mind game. It's knowing that, or at least feeling like you, I'm not going to say outsmarted the buck, but you did. You, you did the, you thought through the process and you thought ahead and figured out where he was going to be. And when it all comes together, that's, that's better than shooting the buck twice his size of just pulling the trigger on something that happens by happenstance. Oh yeah. And I think the, the having the realistic expectation, um, and I, I think that that helps a lot in, in enjoying the experience, right. Is like, the expectation isn't that I'm going to go in here and kill this giant buck. It's like, I'm going to go in here and if I'm right, there's going to be a buck here. And, you know, sometimes it's a year and a half old buck and you're like, eh, I'm not really in the right spot. And then other times like you're, you, you know, you see a good buck and you're like, all right, you know, cool. And then maybe one or two sits later or like, you know what you said, like you went in, you're like, this is not the spot, but you you saw what you needed to see and you made the adjustment and you were just off. And like, that's, that to me is like what it's all about rather than just, but I, you know, I haven't been in a situation where I'm like, I'm going to target this one deer and that's going to be my whole life school. And I'm not, I'm not at that point yet, but that's hard to do from a out of state fly in type, type scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, for all of your buddies, they're going to have to listen to this podcast and go back through it and they're going to listen to it in, uh, in perpetuity. Right. But, uh, you know, I really appreciate you, uh, coming on here and sharing the story. And like I said, I just thought it was super cool. Um, just the way that, that everything played out. Um, and not saying that I had a hand in any of it. Um, but just like the way that it happened, like, yeah, this guy from the internet, like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, well, you awesome. did though. I mean, reaching out to a stranger and, and helping somebody when you don't have to, I'm telling you, it goes a long way. Um, and I, I appreciate you guys having me on here. Um, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed the podcast um, and, and I appreciate the advice. And it, it was nice meeting you as well today. I know I've, I've talked to Adam. Um, it's easy when I say that I'm, I'm looking at a screen here. So, <laughs> um, but it's, it's really cool hearing this and hearing the way you guys are, developing not only the podcast but the way y'all hunt it's it's enjoyable i look forward to every one of them well we appreciate it and you know thanks again for coming on tonight and and sharing some time with us and sharing your story so appreciate it you guys have a great night you too thanks